This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we continue our Why I Coach series with the head coaches of Bates men's and women's soccer, Tyler Shake and Joe Vary. That's coming up on the Bates Bobcast. In 2019, his second season as head coach of men's soccer at Bates, Tyler Shake led the Bobcats to a 9-6-1 record, the program's most victories since 2008. That included a 5-4-1 record in the NESCAC, tying for the team's most conference victories since 2000. That followed an 8-7 record in his debut season at Bates in 2018. Coach Shake was named the ninth head coach in team history in July 2018, following a successful stint at Knox College in Illinois. Coach Shake, tell me a little bit about when you were in college, uh, when were you starting to think about possibly, you know, going into coaching as a career? You've been at a few colleges before Bates, but how, how did that process develop for you? I think like a lot of soccer players growing up, um, at one point, maybe our dads put us into the sport. And I had two older brothers as well. Um, my oldest brother is on staff with me here, kind of almost at this point with COVID more as a um, – more of an advisor role than a coaching role. Uh, but he, he was, he was my coach in high school. Uh, and he led us to a state championship first ever in our town before, you know, the big blow up of a million and one clubs in, in the tri-state area. So that's forever for me. Those are moments that I can't ever, um, get back, but they're ones that stick with me forever. And I really think from all that my father taught me, my two older brothers, specifically my oldest brother, being my coach, that's when I really started to think about being a coach. Uh, certainly in college, pretty much had a nondescript career. Uh, but because of that, because of a failed playing career, um, you know, I was like a sponge as a player at the same token. I, I, there's a lot of things I picked up from coaches. And I was, there's a reason why, uh, I sometimes they say it's a bad phrase, but those who can't teach, um, you know, I didn't have the best playing career. But I think now I want... I want to make sure no one has the same sort of experience that I did um, as a player where I was bopping around colleges and whatnot. I want to make sure they feel like they have a home and they belong and they sort of feed into a certain culture. Uh, I think I was able to develop that at previous institutions and, and kind of shows as assistants took over and, you know, led teams that I had the year prior to the national tournament. And, um, you know, certainly the, the moves made by my assistants, but all of that is, is my why. It's the people I've been around. It's those that I learned from. Um, that's why I got into it. Just to clarify, was it your dad who was your coach in high school or your older brother? My, old, my oldest brother. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, my dad was always in the background, too. Um, I guess nowadays one might call him a helicopter parent, but no. He, he actually is the most chill guy. The guys know him. He's been Zen one or two times on Zoom calls here at Bates. Um, he's famously in the background of a Trinity College uh, overtime victory two seasons ago. He's walking the track. He doesn't even, he's not even watching the game. He's walking the track, but uh, we're into celebrating in the corner and he puts his, puts his arms up. So it's a family affair. And I think the why I coach thing is, is to try and create a family vibe. Well, speaking of that, I mean, to have your older brother be your coach in high school, what was that dynamic like, kind of? I mean, how many years separate you guys? 
he's seven years older, but I always tagged along. I remember sleeping on his floor growing up. Apparently that was more comfortable to me. Um, definitely a hero of mine. Um, he's the type of guy that every, everyone likes. Um, you know, you know me enough by now. Sometimes I rub, ruffle people's feathers, but he's one of those that everyone likes. And, and, uh, he's really like the Phil Jackson of soccer. Um, so he's been, he's been a great influence on me. And, uh, the dynamic was, you know, at times he was a young coach, so he's changed a lot since then. I remember he once was like, took me out of a game. And he says, when you're ready to play like a shake, tell me, I was like, well, what does that mean? Uh, now, now is, is now the time No. So it was, uh, it was interesting, but we won. Um, he's always been a winner and I think he's tried to get us Bobcats in the mindset of, of championship mentality. I feel like we got to believe it before we do it. Who are some people, you know, in coaching who helped you kind of grow your career when you were just getting started? Yeah. Interestingly enough, George, uh, Pagavi, and a couple other, Dave Sayward at Middlebury, they might not remember it. Um, George might not remember it because um, I'm sure he's touched a lot of people and coach and such a legend of the game. But he was one of my coaching instructors when I was getting like, you know, diplomas and badges on the way up. And, you know, you hold some of these positions in an NESCAC in such high regard when you're a, a young Division three coach, 400, 400 plus institutions. And I might have started, you know, somewhere on the, on the bottom half of that, that, that uh, totem pole, but, and saying, oh, this is the Middlebury coach, it's the Bates coach. And, and really after five, 10 minutes of listening to them, understanding why, uh, the way they carried themselves, the way they talked about the game, the joy um, that they had around it. I mean, you could tell that they created a lot of memories with their own teams and then certainly against one another as rivals. I hope Alex, uh, over at Middlebury's my, around my age, I think almost my exact same age. The con coach is a younger coach. Um, I'm hoping to have some rivalries with these guys for, for years to come. What was maybe your first big break, you know, when you were looking for uh, different jobs and stuff? I, I bounced around in my 20s. I was, a, I was in the state of Connecticut back in the mid-2000s. Being a history teacher was few and far between. Um, I should have gone into math or science. Remember that, whoever's listening out there. Um, but history poli sci guy uh, ended up going to ed school at UConn and, and was trying to find a teaching position in the state of Connecticut. And it was, it was slim pickings. I was adult incarceration, uh, alternative education, GEDs, went to Europe for a bit to, to do teaching as uh, English as a foreign language, just to build my resume as you could. And some type of moves that you might see more people doing now post pandemic to, to find a way to pad their resume. Um, and just get some life experience if their if their ideal entry level job isn't there. But uh, I, I was bouncing around. I finally got a full time position, and once I finally got it, um, ironically in the same district as my father, in the same building that he was in for thirty five years, different magnet school when I took over. Um, I was there for for not that long before I realized uh, I like coaching at the end of the day before I like being in the classroom, and. Uh, one athletic director, man by the name of Ryan Smith, took a chance on me. I applied to a job, uh, Mount Aloysius College. Not a lot of people know about it, but there's a lot of heart there. And Ryan uh, asked me to be there, I think, that evening. I packed my bags after school, um, whirlwind process, and then he offered me the position for both 
men and women. Um, so it was really a trial by fire to be the head coach of both teams. Uh, brought on my best friend, brought on a, a graduate assistant who's now the assistant over at Williams. So in the end, we kind of did have a mini dream team there. Um, but we turned things around and that's really my big break. I owe it, I owe it to the, the person who gave me my first chance. And then Jason, of course. Right. Jason, Josh and Clayton. Um, I hope to be here for, for a very long time. Well, coaching the women and the men, I mean, once you got a job where you could focus on just one, that must have been uh, 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 made it seem easy, I guess, after that, right? I mean, that's a that's a tough way to begin, kind of having to coach two teams, I imagine. Yeah, and, and listen, we're not just coaches. Um, the same way that you're, you know, you're not just your job here at Bates. It's it's what makes Bates special. We wear a lot of ha different hats, uh, and at other institutions, we wore different hats because the. It, those institutions weren't, they weren't Bates. Um, and kind of getting that experience of doing multi adjunct faculty member, assistant athletic director, SID, uh, you know, all these sort of different roles that you get on a campus prepared me where in the end it was, all right, can you give these, these guys the best experience as a men's soccer coach? And yes, wearing more, more than just the soccer coach had at Bates, but really being able to focus on soccer. I tell you what, in this conference, I don't think I could do any other, any other job and then compete. So um, I'm very, very happy to be here because there's a lot. It's funny on the recruiting trail where we're doing more Zoom calls and phone calls than maybe we would have ever done. Uh, you know what? There's still so much I don't know about Bates two, two plus years on because a lot of it's not in my purview. It's, it's completely taken off my plate and it's a, a well-oiled machine. So um yeah, but I think everything, every stop that I was at before kind of prepared me for it. It's like I did it, went up a rung, did it, went up a rung on the ladder. How would you describe your coaching philosophy? I mean, who do you maybe take after? Who are, um, are there any coaches you kind of try to model yourself after? Or are you trying to, you know, pave your own way, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. It's changed over time and, and sometimes what's the flavor of, of the month. But uh, I think a coach needs to have an ego. And it might sound crazy but I think you need to have an ego you're you've got to be the man you're you not everyone can be a head coach for example not everyone can be a head, head coach of a of a successful program so you've got to you've got to believe I was talking about a little bit of belief before like you've got to believe in yourself you got to believe that you have the ideas after that ego bits out of the way I, do, I think I do an all right job of making my guys realize that I'm pretty fallible, which they pick up on within five minutes. Um, and, and the idea, I guess, philosophy, the more the merrier. Um, not, you know, not literally always, but just the idea that it's, it's, a, it's a democracy um, at, its, at its most, you know, coach-centric, it's maybe a benevolent dictatorship, but it is, it's a democracy. And I want their opinions, I want their feedback. It's their experience, again, my playing experience was, wasn't very successful. So, you know, how can I help theirs be memorable? Um, so maybe the philosophy of the more the merrier. Have you done much talking with your fellow NESCAC coaches about how they've handled this fall we've had kind of with only practices? Yeah, our arch rivals have, have broken bread a few times over the past year or so. Um, no, it's, it's, it's such an amazing coaching fraternity. Uh, I'm sure across the board in NESCAC, I'm, part of the uh, NESCAC Coaches of Color uh, Coalition as well. That's incredibly impressive. Uh, the men's soccer one, um, a couple of weeks ago we met and it's been a, it's run the gamut. I think, you know, Bowden only brought back 
I think just the first years, um, but then sophomores through seniors will be online. Uh, Amherst, who are the national runners up, kind of have a, a certain vibe and culture where only, I think, four or five returned. Anecdotally, I heard uh, Tufts, the national champions, was about half and half to kind of got what they could get, uh, continuing to, to train as, as much as Tufts in the Boston area allowed. So Austin Hamilton brought back a lot, a lot of numbers. Um, we brought back everyone on our team, which I, I wonder if I think that was the only team the NESCAC that did it and there's a little bit of pride in that that people wanted to return but I also think that's a testament to everything that happened this fall I think that if we step back and be like wow testing center sports med all the planning that took place the way that people sort of got on with it um, and gave allowances to one another was was huge was absolutely huge certainly what are your thoughts you wanted to share about coaching that we haven't gotten to discuss here yeah, it's the, it's the joy of my life. It's I joke every now and then because I can whine with the best of them when needed. But, um, you know, that it's this and that. And it's it's not even a job. It's it's absolutely a joy. Uh, the Bates kids are pretty darn special. And I tell you what, when competition returns, we will be ready. Uh, we are gunning for championships, plural. Um, if we're not, what the heck are we doing? And we've got a young group, those that will become seniors uh, next next fall uh, are terrific men. Um, they're not young men anymore, they're men. And, and I think all of us are ready to, to make history. 2019 was Joe Verry's first at the helm of the Bates women's soccer program after he led the University of Puget Sound to the NCAA tournament in 2018. He talks about how he first got into coaching and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. So my junior year when I was at Hiram, uh, Chris Yeager um, was the head coach there. And, and then he left at the end of that season and, and took over the program uh, down at Lynchburg College in Virginia. And he and I had a really good friendship um, even then and, and still are really great friends. And um, I started getting closer to, to graduating and didn't know what I was going to do with things. And um, so, you know, I called my coach to see what he thought, even though, you know, he wasn't my coach anymore. And you know, and he uh, he had a graduate assistant position that was opening up uh, that was going to be there. And um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to start to was thinking about getting a master's. And, um, you know, that was it was really just kind of a good opportunity to, to kind of connect both. What were some things you had to learn, you know, transitioning from, you know, your undergrad experience to, you know, supervising folks? Yeah, it uh, it, it was a big change. Uh, you know, you you had to quickly you were no longer a player um, and you, you couldn't be a, a college student. You, you know, you had to be a grad student and, and you had to be a coach. And so, um, so that, that was a, a pretty quick change transition. And um, I, I liked that role as an assistant because you could be, you know, you're the same age as the players. Um, the perk for me was, you know, I, um, I didn't play there at Lynchburg and that was some of the issues, some of the players uh, that, that became GAs after me that they had, that was a harder transition for them because now all of a sudden they had to, to coach their friends. Um, and so that, that was a perk for me. That, that was a bonus that I had. Um, but you, you could blur those lines. You're, you're the same age. You could be really friendly, but then you also really had to learn how to kind of keep those two things separate because um, you know, ultimately you, you had to be the hammer at some point, um, uh, on that. And, and so that, that was, a was a hard part to, to kind of learn. Um, and, uh, but that really was, was kind of a, a, an easier transition for me because I didn't really, I didn't know all the back history of all the players. Um, 
but it really was uh, just trying to learn and, and find that um, that growth of as being a person of you know now you're you're kind of overseeing all of these people and um, and certainly was a was a little bit of a maturity process. And um, obviously, you know, you've coached men, you you coached women. Um, in terms of from a coaching perspective, in terms of those similarities, differences. I mean, it's the same sport, but I imagine the strategy might be a little bit different. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, like you said, it, it, it's the same sport, but it's also a completely different sport. The guys game, um, I feel like the ball is out of bounds a whole lot more um, just because they can smash a 70 yard ball and, and do quite frequently and it goes out of bounds a lot. Um, you know, that doesn't quite happen uh, so much on the women's game. Um, but the, the women's game is, I think, a lot more team tactics. Um, sometimes it takes a couple of additional passes to get the ball to, to kind of go where it needs to go. Um, but you really have to be able to kind of sort and figure those things out. Um, the, the women's side is, uh, is a lot, it, to me, I like it much better, um, than being on the guy side. And, and that was one of the kind of the draws when, when that opportunity came for me there at Rhodes to, to, to be permanently on the women's side, it was a neat opportunity. And, um, on the women's side, I feel like the, they ask you to be a better coach um, because they want to kind of understand why. Um, and, and if you can explain it and it makes sense, then they're like, oh, cool, I get it. Like, let's do this. Um, where I think sometimes where you're, you're constantly working with the guys, and even though if you know you're right, they're still pretty sure you're not right. Um, and, and trying to be able to, to kind of balance um, those types of things. Um, but uh, that, that's one of the things that I really appreciate on the women's side. Um, I think the, the team chemistry and the collectiveness on the women's side um, is, uh, can be much stronger and more powerful, um, but it is also something that could go wrong very, very quickly uh, as well, too. And, and I think you can make that same argument on the, on the guy side. Um, but I, I feel like the, the chemistry, if you get it right on the women's side, it, it can last a really, really long time and, and go pretty far for you. Throughout your coaching career, who have been some mentors that you've kind of looked to when you needed advice and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Chris Yeager at Lynchburg college, uh, Dr. Todd Olson, who's on the women's side there at Lynchburg college. It's now the university of Lynchburg, excuse me. Um, the, those, those two guys have um, been awesome um, and, and super helpful um, for me. Um, yeah, I still talk to, to Chris, you know, probably maybe once a month um, and, um, and being able to kind of connect and then um uh, Bobby Lesentine, Andy Marcinko were, were uh, two guys there were there um, uh, at Rhodes College. Um, and then I, I ran into um, Marcus Wood, who's down at Hardin-Simmons. Um, he's won a couple of national championships there. And he's been a really good friend over the years. And then um, actually, when I took over Puget Sound, uh, Randy Hansen was the former head coach that was there. And, and, and Randy and I would have coffee every now and then. And he left UPS to take over and be like the third assistant on the U20 women's national team. So, so that guy kind of knew what was going on. Um, and then his, um, his assistant, Dan Keene, uh, who was at UPS for 20 years is still somebody that uh, I throw soccer ideas. Like the guy is um, just brilliant tactically. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll present a problem to him and he's got it worked out in the next 24 hours. Um, and, and so he's, uh, he's been super awesome and, and really, really helpful. Awesome. How would you describe uh, your style, I guess? What approach do you bring to coaching? It's kind of like a life class. Um, you know, the, the soccer part of things is, is sometimes the easy part to figure out. 
it's the it's the human interactions is, is the hard part. Um, but I do try and push across to our players like, hey, I, I don't know all of the answers. And so if you guys have a really great solution or you think you have a great one, like let's try and figure this thing out. Um, and, and so I think really trying to push that belief into our players, um, trying to create those connections. Um, and, and I think that goes a long way. I feel like I'm very conversational uh, with our players. I kind of ask them what they're thinking. Um, what do they see? You know, maybe these are some other options or, or shoot, that was a really great option. I didn't even see that one. So, you know, nice job. Um, I, I think that that type of things um, to really, really helps. Um, you know, soccer wise, we work on our players on making good decisions. Uh, can you read the game, see where, where defenders are and, and, then, and then make a, a decision on that side of things. So we do try and break down film a lot. We try and watch, um, you know, that as much as we can with, with the individual players. You know, we talk about it on a dry erase board. We walk through it on the field. So we, we try and hit as many different learning strategies as, as we have for all of our players. Um, and, and, you know, when we, we really try and work a lot on, on that culture aspect of things. I feel like soccer is one of the trickier sports in game to yeah. coach just because in basketball, you can call a timeout. Baseball, yeah. softball, you're right there, you know, in the dugout and everything. The players yeah. are in innings. Soccer, they're out there on their own basically yeah. the entire half. How do you approach that in terms of in-match in adjustments if, if they're needed? Yeah, I mean, that's where I, you know, we, we want to try and get to the point where our players are flexible and, and they can kind of understand what we're trying to, to do. And, and then, um, you know, if we need to make some changes, you know, can we, can we just shout out, shout out what we want to try and change into on the field? Um, you know, it is, is chaotic and, um, and uh, you, you really, your, your game prep starts, you know, three games or three days before. And once it rolls out onto the field, you know, that sometimes is, is the awesome part about it. And sometimes that's the incredibly nerve wracking um, aspect of it. Um, but, you know, if you, if you get it right and you're prepared, then, you know, as a coach, you, you just have to kind of tinker a little bit during the games. Um, but, you know, on, on the professional level, they have code words, right? So this, this is a, Randy was telling me this story at, at the professional level, they'll start yelling the name of a player that's not on the field. And that's like the key for like a player to like either fake an injury or like to like take a rest or slow some things down. So, so they can get one of the captains over real quick and like talk about what they want to do on, on the changes. So, you know, there's creative and, and interesting ways, but um that that's the fun part about the sport is it's just so fluid. Um, and, you know, ideally program wise, you, you want to get to the point where it's, it's rolling and taking care of itself. Um, you know, and, and we're, I'm, I'm just there as, as kind of a manager, a little bit of a caretaker and say, Hey, we, we just want to tinker with it a little bit. Um, but if we get the culture, right. Um, it, it, you know, our goal is for it to run on its own. Um, and, and I think if we get to that point, we're, we're going to, we're going to get some good results. And this year, obviously, unfortunately, you know, the pandemic practice season, basically, have you talked with your NESCAC peers, other coaches of the NESCAC about what they've been doing? How have you approached this, this season kind of? Yeah, you know, uh, there's, there's a silver lining for it. Um, for us specifically here at Bates is we're, we're trying to build something. And so it really gave us an opportunity uh, to focus on our players and, and us as, as a team. And um, I, I felt like we, we really got a lot better this fall. 
Um, and sometimes you don't get that opportunity in the fall because you play so many games. You're more worried about what the other team's going to do. You're worried about set pieces. You have to take two days off because you play two games this week. Um, and, and so it really kind of disrupts it. Um, you know, and, and I feel like the, the small groups for us were, were a big advantage. And we had that opportunity to really spend a lot of more individual time with our players than, than I think we normally do in the fall. And so I, I think that's a really big silver lining. Um, you know, the, the NESCAC this year is, is really buckshot. You have, you have some schools that were in the same boat that we were. Some schools, you know, only had certain classes on campus. Some schools had a lot of players that took the fall off or are going to take a full year off. Um, you know, so uh, I don't like to, to compare, um, you know, to like what other schools are, are kind of doing. Um, but I really feel like we, we maximized the, the opportunity that we had in front of us. And, um, you know, our, our I think with even all the restrictions and everything going on, our players still really enjoyed themselves and, and got a lot out of it. And that was, you know, an hour to two hours of normalcy um, for, for our group. And it was, I think, a, a big draw for them to come back to class this fall to, to have that experience and, and also to, to be back with the friends. Great. Have you seen yourself change as a coach since you first got started? Like over the years, have you noticed any differences and thinking, yeah. I don't do that or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's like at, the older you get, the you realize how less, you know, um, you know, I, when I was at Rhodes, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this job. I, I, you know, I got a good idea. And, uh, you know, then I took that opportunity to Puget Sound and I was like, man, I know absolutely nothing about this game. Uh, so, um, you know, and, and I think that's the, the, the neat part um, uh, about it is that the job is, is, kind of the same every year, right? The, the season is the same and the breakdown of things, but what you do is so completely different. And, you know, what we could have done this year in a regular year may have not worked for us at all this, this next year. And, and then you get new players that come in, you, you get players that graduate. And, and then so, you know, the, the culture of things kind of shifts and moves. And, and I, I think that's the, the neat part of the job that really keeps it, keeps it interesting. Um, cause it is just kind of fluid, um, and, and is always kind of ever changing, but, um, yeah, man, I, I, it, it's, uh, it is, is one of those things where the, the game changes and, and the players change. And, um, and I think that's the, the neat part about it. And I think that's the part that, um, you know, keeps, keeps me energized and, and excited about it is, uh, you know, my, my wife loves to say that you have to use the F word a lot and that F word is flexibility. And, and so you got to be able to, to be able to move and, and shift some things around and, um, it, and the job really does re require that a lot. Great. Well, any other thoughts you want to share about coaching we haven't got to talk about? Um, I, I think it's, uh, coaching is, it's tough, you know, and, um, it, it, it's a stressful one. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those jobs where a lot of your likelihood and livelihood, especially on, on art and the things is, is based on the decision and abilities of 18 to 20 year old young adults, <laughs> uh, which when you think about it that way is like, this thing is so crazy. Um, but the people that you get to meet along the way, working at a great university and uh, being on a college campus is uh, just has such an awesome energy. Um, and, and it's something that's super, super unique. And I think just a lot of fun. And 
Um, and then you just realize actually how small the world is. Um, and, and you talk about how, you know, we're recruiting this player and she's got a brother that plays this sport at this college. And, oh yeah, I, I worked at, I worked hit with him uh, back at Rhodes. And so, you know, he's there. And so now the family's like, oh yeah, you know him. And it's just like, um, it, it's just kind of crazy how, how small of a world, uh, you know, athletics can be, but it is really a, a neat um, area to be involved in. And then, you know, all the coaches that you get to work with and, and including the, the staff that we have here at Bates are, are top-notch human beings that, that want to make the world a better place. And, um, and you can do that one, one person at a time. Great. Joe Barry, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really appreciate it. You got it, Aaron. It's always my pleasure. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll continue our Why I Coach series with the head golf coach, Henry Fall, and head tennis coach, Paul Gassengay. That's next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bates, 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 Bates.